Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. So what does it take to live wide awake? What, what does it take to embrace this moment every moment? What does it take to carpe diem, to seize the day, to live well aware of all that's going on around us? This is, this is what we're trying to embrace in these messages. And the first week that we got together, we started talking about the fact that we get one go at this. We have one life. And it would be a great thing for us to kind of lift up some prayers, just real quick kind of prayers to God, where we would start saying things like, God, would you turn when into now? Rather than just living down the road and always hoping for something else, God, help me to embrace right now all that you have for me. And and then we said, God, could you help me turn my good intentions into godly actions? Help me not to just think these good things. Help me to live it out. And then we said, if we could pray this prayer, God, turn my whole heart to Jesus Christ. That would change everything. Once we know our maker, once we know the one who gave us life, and we have a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, that's the moment that we start living wide awake. And then we said if we could do all of those things, if, if we would be able to start embracing those moments, what would it be like to leave a godly legacy? That after we are gone, our life meant something. So we started thinking about, okay, if I'm going to leave a godly legacy, then I need to say what God wants me to say. I don't need to just think these thoughts in my mind. These, these good thoughts need to become good words of encouragement and meaningful words to the people who are around me. Then we said we would need to do what God wants us to do. It's not enough just to to hear or to read about what we should be doing. We have to live that out, which was our final point. Let's live the way that God wants us to live. And if we're going to embrace this life, life is made up of relationships, a relationship with our Heavenly Father and our relationship with people around us. And we mentioned that the fact is we all have relationships that could be stronger. So how do we heal relationships? Well, we said if we're going to have healthy relationships, we would need to confront humbly. We don't, we don't do so in, in pride or spite or anger. We approach others in, in, in this idea of I want to work towards peace, but I'm going to confront humbly. And then we need to love deeply. We need to love in a way that God is calling us to love, not as the world loves, but as he pours his love into our hearts. That's the way that we want to love others. And then we want to forgive irrationally, to forgive in the same way that God has forgiven us. So that's where we've been as we've started wrapping our minds around what does it mean to live wide awake today. Today we're going to talk about how to regret-proof our life. Now, that's, that's a big, bold claim, but if we could do that, if we could live our lives in such a way that we could regret-proof our lives, I think we would all say that would be a great thing for us to do. So uh, this takes a lot of wisdom, and in order to find wisdom, a great book in the Bible to go to is the book of Proverbs. Look at this proverb, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26. Solomon doesn't mince words. He says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. He says, if you're trusting in your own mind, you're a fool. You shouldn't trust in your own thoughts. And I think a barrier to living wide awake would be to live with regrets. And many of us in this room, we know what it is to live with regrets. 
Some of us, we look back on things that we have done in the past, and we would have to say, man, back then, we, we were just silly, right? We, we did some things that were dumb, that were foolish, that were unwise. And for some of us, it was like one night. Uh, for some of us, it was a weekend. For others of us, it was whole years of our life. We, we followed our own mind, our own heart, our own impulses, took us down this road of destruction, and we live then with regret. And every now and then, you bump into people who are doing now what you did then, and just with a heart of love, you reach out to them, and you're like, hey, you don't want to do that. I've been down that road. That is, that is not a wise decision. And they say to you what you said then, butt out. None of your beeswax. Mind your own business. Who are you to judge me? All of us have come to this place where we realize going and following our impulses, what we want, what we think can lead us to a place that we don't want to be. And if we're going to live wide awake, if we're going to live it with a carpe diem, seize this day, regret-proof kind of life, there are some things that we need to ask ourselves. And there is a very good question to ask. And the question that we're going to ask today, it has the potential to address all of those regrets and can change your future. The question that we're going to find as we turn to this specific uh, part of the Bible, it's one of those questions that if you will ask it, it's going to change uh, the way that you view your career. It's going to change the kind of decisions that you make in your relationships and what you do with your time and what you do with your money, what you do with your morality, what you do with your marriage, how you approach parenting. All of these things, it is a question. It is a wise question. And wise people ask this question. Wise people, they know what they don't know. They're not afraid to go to those who do know. And wise people ask this question because wise people know that they are very, very capable of convincing themselves to go down a path that they shouldn't have gone down. We realize that that we can do a really great job of justifying all of our actions. We do a great job of just saying, okay, I found a way that I can follow this impulse, that I can follow my own thinking, my own heart, and walk towards this temptation. Wise people know they can talk themselves into anything because on the inside of every single one of us is a little defense attorney by the name of Adam. Adam, the first person whoever sinned. All of us have this thing on the inside of us where we can justify and convince ourselves this is the right action. Adam, the first person who ever lived, sinned. And in Romans chapter 5, it tells us that through Adam, that sin was passed on. He was the first one to sin, and that sin brought death, and that passed on to every single person. And so we convince ourselves and we'll argue with ourselves that this thing will make me feel good and we begin to move in that direction. We have this little defense attorney who's always arguing. It's Adam, the flesh. It reminds me of uh, Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if you've read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. It's it's an allegory of the Christian life. There's this this moment where the main character, Christian, uh, bumps into Faith. And he and Faith are having a conversation. And Faith starts explaining some of the people that he's met on this this path to the celestial city. And Faith had run into an old man whose name was Adam the First. And Adam the First looked at Faith and said, why don't you come to my house? And he lived in the town of deceit. And he said, come and serve me to Faith. And Faith said, well, what what do you have to offer? And he says, I have all kinds of 
of delectable kinds of things to offer you. In fact, why don't you come and you can be an heir of mine. In fact, you can marry one of my three children, my only three daughters. You can marry them all if you want. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And then Faith said, I looked at the man's forehead, and I read that it said, put away the old man. And so I turned to walk away. And as Faith walked away, the old man Adam reached out, he said, and grabbed me by the flesh and pulled me back. He worked his way away from the old man Adam. But inside of every one of us is this deceit and lie that we would convince ourselves, I know best. I know the path to take. I know how to get there. And we walk away from wisdom. That's what happens. This question that we are about to ask, it exposes all of those bad decisions, those things that we regret. Just like if you were in high school and you were in high school or college and you had somebody who would keep convincing you to go down a path that you shouldn't go, like you know, but they were just like real insistent. Oh, come on, let's let's go to the party. We can study later. Another proverb that says in Proverbs 13 that he who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. Some of us have listened to fools in our lives and followed them. And here in Proverbs 28, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. The question that we are about to ask will safeguard. It's going to highlight all of those bad ideas in your life. And if you find that you are uninterested in this question, that too will teach you something about yourself. So the place we're going to go is in the New Testament. It's in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. So as you're opening your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, let me just remind you, this is written by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and Ephesus has both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And in that town of Ephesus, they were highly involved in pagan worship. They had these false gods. And part of that pagan worship involved uh, temple prostitutes. And so these Christians are living in the midst of very, very tempting situations. And some of them are making bad choices. So Paul's writing to a group of people who might be wondering, is there a way for us to live counterculturally to all the wickedness that is going on around us? What can we do? And so Paul wants to address this so that these individuals can know how they can not move the direction of the world and they can live counterculturally. Culturally. This is what it says in Ephesians 5 verse 15. We pick up there, look, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. So if you want to live a life that pleases God, you got to be very careful how you walk, where you're walking. You got to watch where you walk. And in my mind, uh, I kind of think about walking through a dog park, right? Like watch where you're walking. That's what this life is like. It, it is a, a mess. And so I am going to be very, very careful where I walk. If you want to live a life that pleases God and ultimately pleases you because God is for you, he longs to have a relationship with you, for you to know him, then you need to be very careful. People who are careless care less. People who are careful are full of care, and they're watching. They're watching their walk. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, our temptation to ask, that the atom on the inside of us, our question is, how close to the edge can I get? What, what would be like the limit of where I could walk? All of us kind of want to move to the very edge and the ledge of, of what might be acceptable. Uh, anybody been to the Grand Canyon? 
Grand Canyon? All right, many of you. That's a dangerous place. If I were in charge of the Grand Canyon, which I'm not, I'd put a railing around the whole thing because that's a mess. Like There are people who fall into the Grand Canyon every year. Selfie, gone. Right? Is it dangerous? Like, how close? I don't think you need to get that close to get the perspective like this is a big place, but people do it all the time. And this is what people do in their lives. How close can I get? Teenagers ask this. How far is too far? Right? Where, where's the line? Where, where's that edge? That's our natural bent. How far is too far? Adults ask, well, how, how unethical could I be on my taxes and still get by with it? How unethical in my job? can I be? Where is the line? Where is the edge? How can I keep God in my pocket, say I have a relationship with him, and keep doing what I want to do and what makes me feel good? That's the question that we ask. So it ultimately becomes, uh, is it legal? Is there a law? Can I get by with it? Will other people notice? Is it permissible? What's everybody else doing? Is there a verse And is there a way of taking that verse and then looking further into the Greek and having that verse mean something else? And that's the grid that we run life's questions through. When God says, that's not the right question. The right question is, what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? Not is it legal, not is it permissible, not can I get by with it, not what is the rest of this culture doing? What is the wise thing to do? But that's not what our culture asks. This is countercultural. This goes against what the world tends to do. The world says, is it illegal? If it's not illegal, go ahead and do it. If the bank will loan you that much money, go ahead. I'm not hurting anybody. If you're not hurting anybody, well then, do whatever you want. This is countercultural. That's the way that the world operates. And God says, those are bad questions. That's going to put you on the edge, and eventually you're going to fall off into the Grand Canyon. The best question, the better question, what is the wise thing to do. He goes on, verse 16, making the best use of time because the days are evil. And I would just simply add, and the days are short, or the days are evil. Go ahead, make the best use of this time, telling the Ephesians, go ahead and look around you, watch what everybody else in this culture is doing, and you will realize that this world and these days are evil, and if they were evil then, they're evil now. All we have to do is just simply look around, turn on the news, see what's happening in our city. We realize time is short. We have a limited number of heartbeats. Be wise. He tells people, look around at the world, because if you want to follow the world, just realize you're going to be in a world of hurt, because if you follow the way that the world does things, if you follow and do what the world does with money, if you follow the world and what they do in their marriages and their relationships, if you follow the world and what it does with its morality, then you are going to wind up in a place that you don't want to be because this world, its passions, its desires, they are passing away. And a whole bunch of people are on a path that are leading to destruction. This is what Jesus said in Matthew seven thirteen. He said, wide is the gate. Wide is the gate. And many people enter through that gate into destruction. But narrow is the gate. Narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. If you look around at this world, they are walking away from wisdom. They are walking away from their creator God. They are walking away from the wisdom of Jesus Christ. And they're walking towards destruction. Like if you, if you want to follow the world, think about this. Like if you fill your mind with the stuff that this world says you can fill your mind with, is that going to get you where you want to be? 
If you do with your time what the world does with its time, if you do with your marriage what the world does with its marriage or its morality, if you do what the world does with its finances, will that get you where you want to be? Of course not. That's why we can't ask, is it legal? Can I get by with it? Is it permissible? The best question to ask, what is the wise thing to do? Because we're to live according to God's word and God's wisdom, not current trends in this culture or the current temperature of where this world is dragging others. He goes on, verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish. Let's be honest, he's saying. Don't be foolish, uh, don't be fooled, don't be careless, don't justify, don't rationalize, don't convince yourself that you know better than your creator, he says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul says, well, you just come to this place where you understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's not play games, let's not rationalize, let's not excuse away. Will you begin to ask, what is the wise thing to do? Will you come to this place where you realize that God has something different for you than maybe even you had for yourself or that the world has for you? What's the wise thing to do? And I think we're afraid to ask that question. And the reason I think that we're afraid to ask that question is because we know the answer. And many times that question or the answer to that question doesn't lead us to the edge where we want to be. And so we pull back from it. Now, there's, there's several ways in which we need to take this question and, and run it through a grid, several different levels as we begin to ask this question. And, and there's three questions I'm going to give you, and these three questions are not original to me. Um, I, I would just say, if you ever hear anything smart come out of my mouth, that's not original to me. Uh, it's from somebody else. This is from Andy Stanley. Uh, Andy Stanley has been teaching these principles for well over a couple of decades now, written a whole bunch of books, uh, um, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets, uh, the, the book Ask It, and probably I'd say about 20% of his messages have these three questions. And I think that he probably got them from his dad, who I respect a whole lot, Dr. Charles Stanley. Uh, after the service, you can ask me how I stood in his pulpit one time. All right, uh, name dropping. Uh, so so these, these three questions that we, we run this grid through, these are important. So here's the first question. The first question is this, considering my past experience, what's the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do? Considering my past, not in light of what everybody else is doing, not, not in light of what's permissible, what is legal, considering what happened to me the last time I went there, the last time I saw her, the last time I saw him, the last time I made that decision, what's the wise thing to do based on my past experience? Right? I, it, it may not be right for everybody, but for me, based on where I have been and my past experience, what is the wise ch- thing to choose because you have a unique past. It is unique to you. Your history, it predisposes you to certain temptations. You have a unique past and things that have happened to you that begin to set you up for failure. And your enemy knows this. Satan knows this. His demons know this. Like they study, they watch, they talk, they communicate. And it's not just like, well, the devil made me do it or set this up. Many times it is that old man Adam on the inside pulling and tempting, and we put ourselves in some pretty bad predicaments because we forget to factor in the past. What's the wise thing to do considering the past experiences that I've had in this realm? Second question to ask is this. What is the wise thing to do in light of my current experiences, my current circumstances? 
So considering where you're at right now emotionally, what's the wise thing to do? Considering where you're at financially right now, what's the wise thing to do, right? Buy the Corvette, buy the minivan. What's the wise decision to make? What is the wise decision to make relationally for me right now? What is the wise decision to make based on my stage of life? I'm, I'm having those kinds of things that I'm answering now. Like if somebody were to come up and say, hey, Chris, do you want to play basketball? Yeah, I'd love to play basketball, but no, I can't. I pull my muscles just rolling out of bed and praying. True story. Like I've got problems. So unable, can't, can't do it right now. Like it's not a decision I would have made in the past. In the past, I'd be like, let's play ball. But now... Not so much. There's stage of life things that you're going through. Some of you, you're young, you're married, you got your career, you got kids in the house, and things are just kind of busy, and somebody comes along and says, hey, you want to play golf? Take four or five hours and play golf? No, I want to stay married. So I'm not able to do that right now. I can do maybe nine holes, or it's a, it's a no for now. This is, this is our stage of life. It's no for now, but not forever. Based on my current circumstances, based on what's going on around me, the amount of time where, where I'm at relationally, emotionally, financially, here is the wisest thing for me to do. So what, what are we asking? We're asking, considering my past experiences, what's the wise thing to do? Considering my current circumstances, what's the wise thing to do? And then this question, the third question is this. In light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? When you think about your future, you've got plans, you've got dreams, you've got a vision, you want to be somewhere, what's the wise thing to do? In your marriage, in your marriage, you, you want to be someplace, ideally down the road. So based on that, what's the wise decision to make today? What's the wise investment to be made in your marriage today in order to fulfill and get to the place of your hopes and dreams. You have future hopes and dreams when it comes to your children. Some of you want to have a great relationship with your kids now and in high school and when they move out of the house and one day when they get married and have kids, you would, you would love for them to say, hey, let's go, let's go to your grandparents' house because you just long to have this close relationship with your children now and in the future. And if that's the case, What's the wise thing to do in your investment with your children? Some of you have hopes and dreams when it comes to your finances. You, you've got vision. You've got goals. What is the wise thing to do financially based on our future hopes and dreams? Based on and in light of the kind of man or woman that you want to marry one day, what's the wise thing to do in your dating? What would be the wise thing? You see, those of us who are in the room, and we've got some years under our belt, we all realize that we are right now living in our future, that we are living the cumulative sum total of these decisions that we've made in the past, some of them good, some of them bad, some of them have brought consequences, some of them have brought reward. We are now living in whatever we have done, and we are experiencing it in our current reality. So whenever we start to begin to like make this excuse and start dancing on the edge and start saying, uh, is there a law? Is this permissible? Is everybody else doing this? Is there a verse? You are robbing yourself. You are robbing yourself of potential future dreams and vision and goals because you are refusing to ask, what is the wise thing to do right now? 
again, teenagers ask this all the time. They, they want to know how far is too far. And if they're talking to the pastor, they're like, okay, I, I realize that there's a, a too far in the Bible. There's uh, things to save for marriage, but how far is too far? Like there's a, there's a pretty big gap between here and there. So how far is too far? And well, I'd say, well, you got some good news and you got some bad news. I guess you might think that the good news is the Bible doesn't speak in specific terms of you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. However, in light of what you want your future spouse, as far as you want them to have gone, that's how far. In light of what you want to explain to your spouse one day, that's how far. In light of what you want to tell your teenagers one day, that's how far. In light of your actions becoming known public, public to your, your friends and to your family, that's how far. The question isn't how far. The question is, what is the wise thing to do? Uh, the whole thing about, can we live together? I, I think there's verses there. I believe that we can look at things, but you've got to start asking, not is it legal, not is it permissible, not what is the rest of the world doing. The question becomes, based on our future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? This is the question. Considering my past experiences, my current circumstances, my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? See, nobody plans to mess up their life. Nobody makes a plan for that. Nobody plans to have an affair. But doesn't it happen far too often? Teenage girls don't plan on getting pregnant. Nobody plans on getting addicted. The problem is, Nobody plans not to because we keep wanting to push it to the edge and to the ledge of temptation and move in the direction of our own mind. God, I know better than you. God, I feel this. God, I'm going to do my own thing. The way that you plan not to is not by asking, is there a law? Is it permissible? What is everybody else doing? Is there a verse? The way that you plan not to is running it through this grid. Based on my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? And then do it. It's one thing to know the wise thing. It's a whole other thing to walk it out. And so I would just say, if asking this question, if bumping up against this question and honestly coming to God and saying, God, what is, what is the wise thing to do? If that's threatening to you, if you push back on that, if you want to ignore that, you've learned something about yourself. You have learned something very, very important and you best not ignore it. You have learned that you are not interested in living a carpe diem, seize the day, wide awake, regret-proof kind of life. You have just discovered that you will live with regrets. If you choose to walk away from wisdom, if you choose to go the way of your own mind, your own heart, your own pleasures, your own temptations, you will find yourself in a place that you never wanted to be, never thought that you would be. Because this world, there is a flow to this culture. There is a flow to this world and just your natural feelings on your own that if left alone will sweep you out into a sea of sin. And there are consequences. 
there are consequences when we ignore the wisdom of a God who loves us, who has invited us to know the will of God and then to do the will of God. Every single husband, every single wife who has determined, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. I feel this. I have this in my mind. I have it in my heart. Everybody who chooses, I'm going to blow through all of the wise counsel from others. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to keep walking the edge of this. Every single person who does it, every married couple, when they get to the spot and they thought, man, I just thought it was two consenting adults, they discovered that they have ruined their life and their spouse's life and their children's life. Sometimes those consequences last their whole life. What is the wise thing to do? This is the question. I mean, just imagine. Imagine if you had been asking this question 10 years ago and applying it. Think about all the money you'd have, right? What's the wise thing to do with my finances? You wouldn't have some purchases. You'd probably have a whole bunch more money. Think about if you had started applying this in your relationships. Like all of the heartbreak, all of the heartache, all of those things that you now live with as regret and shame, gone. Because you weren't walking the edge and the ledge. You were far away from it and you were asking, what is the wise thing to do? The way that that happens, it doesn't happen by, is there a law? Is this permissible? Is everybody else in the culture doing this? It happens when we ask. Based on my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? Now let me ask this. This is a bit deeper, and this is kind of a pastor kind of question to you. Considering that there's an eternity... All right? So let's not just think about you know, applying these things for this moment. We're going to be a whole lot happier because we've made some good choices. Considering that this life is brief, considering that there is an eternity beyond us, that you have a maker, a creator, what is the wise thing to do with Jesus? Considering that you have done your best to try to fix your life, to not keep going down the same road, making the same mistakes, and you have put your best effort in and you've pulled off every self-help book that looked good at the bookstore, but you have not yet been able to fix your life. Considering that there are people in this room right now, including me, who would say the only way to find interchange and transformation is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, what's the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do when you realize that you have a creator, a maker who made you for a purpose and loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins, to rise from the grave, to send his spirit to fill you, to make you alive so you can live for him, love him now and forever. What's the wise thing to do? What do you do with a God who caused you to be in a room where you would hear that loving truth or watch this and hear that loving truth? What is the wise thing to do with Jesus? Based on all of the regret, all of the shame, all of the stuff that you've been packing on your back and carrying with you down road after road and just the weight of all of that. What would be the wise thing to do with a loving heavenly father who extends his arms and asks you to give him all of your regret, all of your shame, and all of your sin? What 
is the wise thing to do. Let's pray. Father, for all of us in this room, we realize that we, we have done some things that have been foolish. And I'm thankful, Father, for those of us who have brought those foolish things, those hurts, those pains. We've brought them to you. We've asked for your forgiveness, that you'd wash us, that you would cleanse us. Lord, I thank you that as we open up your word, we begin to realize what wisdom is. We begin to realize what your will is. And in those places where we don't have a verse and we're kind of confused about what direction to go, we're thankful that you're a God who has not spun this world up and then just let it go, but you're actively involved. And for every person in this room who is faced with a dilemma, faced with a question, I thank you that you are sufficient. As we lift up our eyes and we say, God, what's the wise thing to do? Would you lead me? Would you guide me? Father, for every person in this room, who has not yet made the wisest decision ever to find eternal life in your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that that happens. Whether it happens this day, tomorrow, the next day, I pray that they would find you pursuing them and that in your wisdom poured into their hearts, they would stop in their tracks. They would stop running down a broad road of destruction and they would turn to you and find life that they would be able to say, Lord Jesus, wash me of my sins. Take my regret. Take my shame. Take my pain. I make you my Lord, my Savior. I give you my life. And as best I know how, I will follow you all the days of my life. Father, we thank you that we can turn to you. We walk away from this world and we embrace you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.